Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thank you so much for clicking on this video. I am so thankful for everyone who's shown me and this channel support over the last few months. It's been one heck of a ride. I've learned so much from all the guests who've appeared. If you've been a guest and you're watching this, thank you so much. You are the reason why this is so successful. The knowledge that everybody's brought has just been absolutely phenomenal. So kick back, relax. Hopefully you've had enough turkey for today. And uh, enjoy another two-hour episode, this time with Wally Kern from Supreme Geckos. It's a good one, folks. Enjoy and have a safe and wonderful holiday. Happy Thanksgiving. Something had happened in the hobby about 15 years ago, and it was kind of a downer in, in like November-ish. Something that had happened, and I thought, we need something to bring us up. Maybe I can do a giveaway. Maybe I can give, you know, a gecko away or something. And I, I you know, it's funny. I, I'm bringing all this back right now. I remember I was in the car and I was listening to the 12, 12 Days of Christmas on the first air. And I won't sing any more for you, I promise. Yeah. Welcome back to the Gecko Cove Connection, the Gargo of Gecko podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing Wally from Supreme Geckos. Thank you, Wally, for joining us. Hey, Bobby. How's it going? I'm doing great. Now that you're on the show, I I've been watching your content for years, and I'm excited to have you on. Most of the people say, I've been watching your content for days, and now I'm done watching your content. <laughs> so if you're watching it for years, you and I think three other family members. So we're good to go. Yeah, I'm drunk a lot. You know, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's our family members. No, 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 there no, you no. Go. <laughs> Very cool. Well, well, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to blow smoke up your butt. I literally have been watching you since I started looking into geckos because you've had some really great kind of you hooked me in with some of your how to's and kind of going over some of your room tours. And clearly you've got more than, than gargoyle geckos, a lot of crested gecko content. And we'll get into the other amazing, you know, smaller species that you carry uh, and work with. Cause I think that's something unique to you versus a lot of people that I've talked to uh, in the past. But what I'd like to start off with is asking you about how did you get into reptiles? At what point in your life did you start looking into keeping them or breeding them? And what did you start with? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to go all the way back to a period of time where I grew up in a little town in Wisconsin called Kenosha and got into a lot of trouble as an early teen. We, my family moved us, specifically me, away from this small town because it was just so bad. Um, and into a town in the country and that town had little streams all over the place and i would find myself as a again a young teen going down to the stream and collecting crawdads and tadpoles and growing them up and just loved it uh, got into fishing right away had a fish tank kept bass and bluegills uh, so you know my teen days were over went to college and uh, started fishing more in my free time, watching sports, fishing, career-wise, you know, very career-minded. But I, I wanted to stay a, a lot in touch with nature. So I got a fish tank, and I had a bass and a bluegill, and then 
I started collecting tropical fish and nice. all of a sudden the fish tanks started growing and growing. It wasn't the fish. It was the fish tanks that were multiplying. <laughs> you put two fish tanks together and all of a sudden you have four fish tanks. Multiple so tank syndrome is a thing. Exactly. Yes. And so <laughs> we lived in a one bedroom apartment and we soon had to move out of that one bedroom apartment because the hobby, the fish hobby became so much. I think we had 12 fish tanks in that apartment. So I told my wife, Nanette, you know, you get the kitchen, you get the bathrooms, you get the bedroom, you get the living room. I get the basement. Yeah. You know, that's my call. You get all this other decision making, uh, but I get the basement. So we found a nice little home in Milwaukee, um, and it wasn't but a couple of years, and I had the basement full. I think we were up to about 125 tanks, and I was bringing in fish from all over the world and shipping out. This is before the internet, and just loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, but we soon developed the family. The career took off, and because I had the career, the family, and the fish, Mm -hmm. I could only manage two of them, and one of them had to go. And I'm not a very big uh, gambler. I'm, I'm very conservative. So I didn't want to venture into the fish and put my career aside. I, I loved my job at the time. So, fish so you got rid of the kids. The side. Yes, yes. The, 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 <laughs> kids were, the kids were the priority. My wife told me that. Yeah, that was that's it for awesome. sure. Um, and just love going to their baseball games and, and soccer games and everything. So it was about probably 10 years and I got another fish tank. And I realized at that time that the hobby would again grow. So I stopped keeping fish, but I wanted to keep something. And I got into leopard geckos. So now this is 23, 24, 25 years ago. A pair of leopard geckos. They bred baby leopard geckos, and I thought this is the coolest thing. The biggest thrill for me when I was keeping fish was to see mom and dad, mom or dad, watching the babies and and kind of taking them around the tank and and herding them. That was just yeah. It felt like I was kind of watching nature in this little ten or fifteen gallon tank. Absolutely. So I missed that. But when I had the leopard geckos. And seeing that very first baby hatch, it was like, this is, I'm right back to it. So yep. it was about a year of keeping one pair and then it was two pair. And I think by the end of that first year, I was probably up to about eight or nine or 10 pair. And I threw in a crust of gecko in there too. Um, you know, buying <laughs> feeders and I'm buying the, and I've got the tanks and I have a little experience. I'll just do some crust of geckos too. Everybody's talking about crust of geckos. Again, this is 20 years ago. So I okay. bought my first pair of crusted geckos, and again, another year passes. Now I'm two years into it, and now I'm up to probably 25 pair of leopard geckos. And I'm also up to probably about 20 crusted geckos, too. Wow. That okay. took off, and I ventured into the business end of things, and that went really, really well. And because of that, because we were doing well with uh, raising up leopard geckos and crusted geckos and doing reptile shows, I ventured into other geckos like micro geckos and Europlatus and oh, uh, knobtails. It was just, you know, the door was wide open. And again, this is probably about 15, 16 years ago. There wasn't a lot yeah. of information out there. So every new animal was an adventure of research and trying to find out as much as I possibly could. Now you go online and you can find basically information on just about any animals just mm -hmm. about 
But back then it was it was thrilling to find something out and apply it and and work with them and then eventually obviously hopefully have babies and feel, you know, that that sense of accomplishment. So and that was probably how, even an even bigger sense of accomplishment because that information wasn't so readily available. Even some of the diets and just the basic care, you were on the, the cutting edge with some of those species. And so to reproduce, that must have felt like you were on top of the world. It, it did. You know, back then it was all, you know, forums. It was all forums. Yeah. We, we, we didn't have Facebook. We didn't have Instagram. And um, luckily, we didn't have TikTok because I can't dance. But we had the forums and we would share information that way. And it was thrilling when one of the group would, you know, there would be three or four of us working with a certain animal and one of us would hit on something. Oh, don't give it calcium that much because cat geckos coming from the wild, they just can't take that much, you know. And to be able to share that information, just like you said, was just thrilling and and felt like you were accomplishing, accomplishing something. So it was you know, right. supplementation and lighting and how warm, how cold to incubate, how, you know, just everything was fairly new back then. Right. It's all theory. It's almost like you're, you're running little mini experiments on how to keep these animals the best way possible. And when you strike something, you know, it's like, Eureka, I found it. You know, this is, this is the missing piece. And all of a sudden everything's fitting together and it just works out. That's amazing. Yes. And, and, you know, as much as, I would like to do that with something eventually. I'm happy just getting it started with the the crested geckos and the, <laughs> the gargoyle geckos. You know, just my first year breeding, it, it was challenging enough. I couldn't imagine if all this information wasn't there. But I, you know, I want to back up real quick, and I, I yeah. hate to cut off your. This is an awesome story. Nope. I just love the fact that you are into fish um, because I, it reminds me of myself, and I, I, you know, I'm a little bit narcissistic, right? <laughs> So I, I, what kind of tropical fish did you keep? Because it sounds like the way you were, you were describing how they were parents, some sort of cichlid. Am I right? Boy, well, you know, we, we're going to, we're supposed to be talking geckos here, but now I we're know, going that's down okay. that rabbit hole. We're going to be talking okay. fish for another two or three hours. <laughs> so um, I started with, because, you know, I feel like we're kind of an epicenter of, Back then, we certainly, I felt like we were because we had the the Killy organization here in mm -hmm. Wisconsin, uh, centered here in Wisconsin. We had the Chicago Cichlid Association, which yep. was absolutely huge. Milwaukee Aquarium Society, obviously, for, for us. But um, back then, you know, I think everybody starts with angelfish and live bears and things like that. But I right. delved into, I, I went off into the exotic live bears and... I had to keep killifish, and I had to keep, oh, my gosh, what else did I keep? Oh, I can't even remember all the other weird kind of fish. But cichlids were my bread and butter. And yeah. the cichlids that I loved the most, a lot of people were keeping the Mbuna from, from Lake Malawi. Yep. Back then, I, I, I went right over to Tanganyika. I loved the Frontosa, but I fell in love with the little tiny shell dwellers, the little fish that that find the shells at the bottom of the, the Lake Tanganyika and use them yep. as homes. So you'd have a male and a female going into the shell and eggs and fertilization and the babies popping out of the shells, coming out of the shells and, and mom, you know, shaking her fins, the baby's going right back in. That was the fish for me. Um, I got really Love into those. Trophius, the Lamprologus lalupi. Um, 
Oh, God. Uh, so, you know, we had the trophies going a lot. Yeah. Um, and I no, eventually I... got it. Go ahead. No, it, it, it was so cool about that is, is you're right. It's some of those are really because they're not as flashy as the Mabuna or some of the peacocks, they get overlooked and you can keep them in smaller tanks and they really are more interactive. Right. And, and I'll bring this back to geckos a little bit, right? Everybody wants the, the flashy, big colored red gargoyles. And we'll get to a little bit later, the small species, but you can get some of the same, you know, uh, breeding behaviors and just, you know, experience of seeing a little micro habitat fully, you know, develop. And so there's a lot of correlation between the fish hobby and the reptile hobby. It's just lack of, uh, you know, water, basically. I agree a hundred percent. You know, at, at the end, I was keeping a lot of, like I said, the trophies. I was ruling into the mouth breeding Lake Tanganyika and, um, mm -hmm. Okra Jenny's, uh, oh my gosh, all the names are, are escaping me right now. But the I'll the have to long... throw some pictures up here, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. so people know what we're talking about. Oh my gosh, all the um, mouth brooding Tanganyika I was really into. Again, 125 tanks. I had room to do, and all of the tanks were about 50 gallons. I had a, a bank of 10 gallons for Apistogrammas from South America. Oh, those are my. I got into the big South Americas. I just, you know, a 10 gallon, just like you were saying. And see yep. all of the behavior just all in a little tiny space down in my basement was just the thrill. And eventually I got into Lake Victoria. You know, when we found out that Lake Victoria was was dying because they introduced the Nile perch and it ate all of the fish, it ate all of the mm -hmm. fauna in Lake Victoria. And people were in little pockets keeping some of these, you know, where the lake was devastated from losing all these smaller fish. Right. Pockets of people were keeping very specific animals, and I really got into that as well. So fish keeping was a lot of fun. Uh, discus. I was doing discus big time uh, back then, which was a lot of fun. And the discus yep. kind of paid for the room, and then I could play around with some other fish. Um, that was the fun part. We'd have – so working, you know, 60 hours a week and occasional – you know, go down and feed and take care of babies and strip mouth brooders and everything. But Saturday was my clean day. I would do water changes and I would have people coming into the house all day long, um, buying fish, talking fish. Um, it was just a great time. Lots see, that's where you were smart. Okay. Because the one thing that I see a difference between my time in the uh, aquarium hobby versus the reptile hobby is I never bred any of the fish. I was that guy who just set up tanks and just set up an environment and spend godly amounts of money and not calculate it back then. And, you know, and some of those are hard to keep if you don't know what you're doing. If you don't have an RO system and, you know, you've got those discus and, you know, and you don't have the pH just right. And so there's an art to it. And so and especially if you like to change your mind a lot, it's easy to to sell the fish at a, a discount and then just restock your tank, you know, and so... I pumped a ton of money into the hobby and it was never a return, right? But I still enjoyed it. So that was my return. Now with this, I'm, I'm completely neutral where I am right now. So if I sell anything, it's, it's a positive. And I think that's the only reason why I can see this lasting a lot longer is that I still, I'll always have a fish tank. I have one downstairs and I did saltwater this time, but um, you know, it, it's just one of those things where 
if I were smart like you and I was breeding and selling discus, I'd probably still be in it a little bit. But uh, luckily, it's brought me to this point. I think we're we're all wired differently. That you know, of the the sixty years that I've been on this planet, I, the one thing that I figured out is everybody's wired differently. Mm-hmm. Whereas I like fish tanks for the purpose of breeding fish. Um, so I'll have, you know, a bank. I actually have fish here in, in the, the office. Oh, nice. I'll have a bank of 20 tanks over here. And every single one is set up to breed the fish that I have in the tanks from killifish and, and spawning mops to apistos and the little, you know, terracotta shells. Yep. But take our counterpart, um, somebody in Germany, let's say, for an example, and they'll have, instead of 20 tanks over over here, they'll have two. And mm-hmm. their two tanks will be immaculate, and they will they will be arts. Um, so different, yeah. different. I don't different want to hobby. say philosophies. Different hobbies, no, yeah. different tastes, different priorities. So right. I've always been in tune with breeding animals because I've always felt like if I can, and especially you know, kind of going full circle, if I can sure. breed an animal, that means I probably am doing a lot of things the right way. Not, I'm, I'm not perfect. You know, I don't have everything nailed down, but if I'm, I'm if I'm getting healthy babies, that means that I'm doing a lot of the right things, uh, or a lot of the things the right way. Absolutely, yeah. No, I, I completely agree. So let's kick it back to the New Caledonia species. Yeah. Okay. So you, you pick up your first uh, crested geckos. You started crested geckos. You said I think twenty years ago, which is amazing, right? Most people twenty years ago wouldn't even know what a crested gecko is. Were they hard to come by? Did you have some connections? And what did they look like? Like they don't look like the morphs we have today. I'm assuming they they looked nothing like the morphs that we have today. I remember that first year. At the end of the first year, I had maybe two or three pair from shows. You couldn't find crested geckos that often, but they were becoming more and more popular. But the crested geckos back then were Harley, not high high okay. Harleys. High Harleys were not around at all pinstripes oh man you find a nice pinstripe <laughs> holy i, I remember my first big animal <laughs> if i'm not mistaken uh it was from philippe de Vosier. i think it was oh, a nice. pinstripe um and i paid back then i paid probably about four or five hundred dollars for a pair of pinstripes but they were full pinstripes they were just really nice animals and they they you know they made the money back like that first year and then a lot more than that. Yeah. So if you knew what to look for, I think back then you could breed a couple of years and and make your money back on any animals that you were breeding, no matter, you know, if you were paying a couple hundred or three or 400, um, you never saw a crested gecko over, oh my gosh, 500, $600 was a lot for a pair of crested geckos, a lot. Yeah. A thousand dollars for a crested gecko just wasn't heard of because there weren't, you know, the same kind of uh, genetics. Obviously, uh, Dalmatians. If you had a, a gecko that had a good number of spots, that was a, a nice Dalmatian. Now, you know, you look at the the morph market and you see the super Dalmatians a lot more frequently. But I tell you, back then, right. if you had a super Dalmatian, it was the cream of the crop. So that that and if you had a, a harlequin and you really had a lot of pattern on that harlequin, that's what everybody wanted. <laughs> awesome. No, it, it, it's crazy how it's exploded. So let me ask you this. 
in your experience, we, you know, I've heard it before that the prices kind of were, were under five, six, five, $600 was a really expensive gecko for yeah. a long time. At what point, because most people who have gotten into this got in during the, the, you know, 2020 bubble, let's just call it that for, for YouTube. All right. Sure. And I, with that, is that when it, it changed or did it change years beforehand? Did it change, you know, 2010? When did you start seeing things creep up into $1,000 for the top end gecko? There were peaks and valleys. Let's go all the way back to about five or six, seven years ago. There were peaks and valleys. Sure. And again, you know, I'm going down a parallel path here too. I'm doing leopard geckos and I'm doing leopard, I'm going to be on screen here. I'm doing leopard geckos yeah. and I'm doing crested geckos at the same time. So leopard geckos, you know, let's go down back about 10, 12 years ago. All of a sudden we had max snows and we had white and yellows and we had enigmas and had problems with enigmas. But at the time it was like, holy cow, look at the colors. Yep. So parallel path and all of a sudden leopard gecko market, I'm going to call it the market, just took off. Max snows, I remember $2,500. Uh, just the market for leopard geckos just flew. Meanwhile, sure. crested geckos kind of had its, you know, peaks and valleys, but they were rounder. Um, so you would find a, a thousand dollar animal, but I mean, it would be like a, you know, you'll, you'll walk tinly, you'll walk tinly and maybe you'll find a couple, three or four of those animals on tables. You just didn't okay. see them that often. I had, I remember, doing Tinley Park a number of years ago, and I had two or three red harlequins, and they were really nice red harlequins, and I think I had six or $700 on them, and okay. and they went went within the first hour. So a red harley was a real cream of the crop kind of gecko. I so, still love those. Yeah, I do too. So really, <laughs> Lily Whites, you know, what was Lily Whites 10 years ago? That started to see the creeping up throw in exanthic and all of a sudden mm. you know the market is i can't even i can't reach that high uh, the it, it got crazy up there yeah yeah because people said oh i can breed and i can make and and it was exciting again i think we got some of that excitement with um leopard geckos with the lemon frost was absolutely mm -hmm. with the enigma but then the problems with the enigma then the lily frost and then the problems with the little frog. So <laughs> while, you know, the black knights, yeah. yeah, the black knights made. So anytime you have something so different like that, you know, it's going to spike the market. Uh, and if it's a co-dominant dominant, it's, you know, it's going to be a year or two and it's going to come down and, and we're kind of seeing some of that right. with the crust of geckos. So I'm going to go off on a tangent here just because I saw it on social media. Um, because I started off with, after the, the whole, you know, aquarium thing, leopard geckos were fun. I had those actually in college. Um, I had uh, a rainwater uh, albino, which I, I loved. And I also had a, a full Afghanicus, which was a really tiny one, but it was really cute. Um, nice. And then I got into uh, bearded dragons. Now, bearded dragons, I just saw a picture. I don't know if it's real. I don't know who, who produced it. But did you see a picture of a fully black uh dragon go around i've seen it's interesting in the last two or three days i've seen more pictures of uh different bearded mm -hmm. dragons that i've ever seen you know in the last couple three years i saw a picture of one that looked whitish 
with red and yellow spangles on it, uh, patches. I, I shouldn't say spangles, but yeah. patches on, on the, the um, underside of it. And that looked sharp. Black, I saw that. I don't know if it's the same pat picture, but I absolutely saw a black bearded dragon on somebody's page. And, and that's, yeah, it was that's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. yeah, I mean, it, it's fun even with that. Like you said, you know, especially with morphs, which is something that the gargoyle geckos don't have, right? And so we'll, we'll tie it back to gargoyles in just a second here. But when you've got species like crested geckos starting to get their very first morphs, right? You're getting the excitement every time something comes out. Um, with leopard geckos, you know, you see the the it kind of goes up and down based on what's coming out, new new genetics. Um, and even with the, the um, bearded dragons, I, you know, I thought we were pretty much done with the bearded dragons, right? Because you got all the, the different, you know, Dunner morph and wits and all those other things. Um, and you haven't heard anything for a while. And then all of a sudden you see the, the super reds from China. And then now this, it's kind of exciting. And that's what's fun about this. Even species where we've closed off the population for so long, new things pop up, right? And so uh, it's kind of exciting. With the gargoyle geckos, on the other hand, we don't have anything, right? When did you get into gargoyle geckos? I should ask that. Yeah, it wasn't very much after I got into crested geckos. Probably another two or three years, and I started keeping gargoyles. And actually, I was keeping gargoyles on, you know, um, with Supreme Gecko. Um, I love. I, I say this all the time. Sorry if anybody of any of my fans are watching, any of my viewers are watching. They'll, <laughs> they'll you know what I'm going to say. Um, I love all colors. As long as long as it's red, so <laughs> I, like <it. laughs> I am, am huge. My my logo is a red crested gecko. Yeah. So when I got into gargoyles, wow, you know my my focus was laser pointed to reds and red stripes, and it wasn't but a couple three years that I was developing a real nice red line, um, and they looked really nice. Now it was never my focus entirely for my collection. So I've mm. always depended on, you know, for Supreme Gecko, I've always depended on crested geckos and gargoyle geckos and leopard geckos to kind of be my bread and butter for shows and for online, for sales. Mm -hmm. My passion, and I love those animals, love them. I love working with them and seeing different morphs come out and everything. But my passion is the other geckos. Yeah. And, and I focus on those other three to try different things and but i'm not like um oh my gosh like david at tiki geckos you know he is right he's laser focused on getting and maybe you're doing the same thing you guys are laser focused on getting specifics with gargoyles for me it's like oh that's a nice red one i think i'll hold that one back yeah to try to get a better red line but i'm not looking unfortunately i wish i had the time but i'm not looking for specific you know, markings and patterns. And I'm just looking for more red, if that makes sense. It, it does. And one thing I wanted to ask you about is kind of watching, you know, you over the last few years, I've noticed that, that you're not laser focused in on producing the highest saturation, one trait. You're producing high quality, healthy animals at an affordable price because a lot of what you you talk about is that you're you're selling to first-time keepers at different shows or to you know just different people and you don't gouge them right um even though you, you say it's your bread and butter it's about getting them a healthy animal and it's not necessarily about that flashiness 
Is, is that accurate? Did I paint a right picture? You're you're spot on, and and okay. God bless the the folks like uh, Flawless Crusted Geckos and and ab, uh, absolutely you know Altitude Brian and yeah. uh, Living Wild, working with these incredible animals and doing special things with them. Pangea, I'll throw them in the mix, and and moving the hobby forward because we that's what we need as as a hobby. We need to move forward and get some of these. That's just not my niche. It's absolutely sure. not what I feel comfortable with. I feel comfortable with working with African geckos and micro geckos and Periodora picta. Now, if I'm going to specialize oh, in beautiful. any of those animals, I specialize yeah. in Periodora picta because I think that there's some genes in that species that are untapped right now. And we could be seeing reds and we could be seeing you know, albinos and we could be seeing pure whites and things like that with that animal. So that's what I, I have a lot of fun doing. I, I have fun with crested gargoyles, leopards, and some of these other animals, but sure. if, if any animal in my collection that I'm really, really working with to get some different morphs, it's that one. So, okay, let's, let's talk about them then. Yeah. So with the, the, the Peridor picta, I said that correct, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't take I, I didn't I didn't take Latin. Uh, but, uh, my principal's a Latin teacher, so if he watches this, he's gonna he's gonna you know give me a little guff. But anyway, um, they're they're gorgeous geckos. I've looked at them on your page and, and you know considered because they're they're not a super expensive gecko, and it seems like their care is relatively simple. If you're used to keeping leopard geckos, is that correct? Same thing. Same thing. Same thing. You could. What's the big difference between them and leopard geckos? Just for people who have no idea what they are, and I'll put okay. a picture of them right here, just so everybody knows what we're talking about. The the cool thing of, and I I bring this up at reptile shows. I love doing reptile shows. It's my opportunity to do this for like eight hours in a row with people. <laughs> the problem with reptile shows is eventually I have to get over to the point of, do you want to buy a gecko? Because I don't want to stop talking about them. <laughs> so that's my that's my hard point with with shows. But I love talking about animals and especially leopards and crescents and especially pickup. But what I tell people is that, you know, the best animal that you can go with, you talk to, I'll say probably eight or nine out of 10 people that we're talking to is a family that's getting mm-hmm. their first or maybe their second because they've already stopped at our table a show or two ago and they've purchased a crested gecko and they want another one. Mm-hmm. So 10% of our our customers are looking for a rare gecko or something like that, but nine, maybe even 95% are looking for that first or second or third animal. So I love, love, love talking through the, the cure and everything with um, people like that so that um, we can make that uh, differentiation so that they can find sure. the animal that's right for them. What I tell people is the best animal that you could start it with is crusted geckos. No special lighting, no special heat, uh, the crusted gecko diet, no live food. I think the next best animal for, for people is a period or a picta because here's the one big uh, differentiation between them and leopard geckos is that they live actually kind of in an area in Madagascar that's desert on one side and jungle on the other. So they're very adaptable. So I keep mine, most of mine, I should say, I keep most of mine over sand and I breed them over sand. 
I have a couple in bioactive, but you could do them in bioactive and they would just love that, you know, little hides sure. and cork bark to climb on. And you, you keep them in a bioactive setup and they're little prairie dogs because you come into the room and if you don't feed them right away, they're going to be up in the, up on the cork bark, kind of looking around like what's going on. I want my food. Yeah. So they're very handleable. They're small. They only get to be, what is that? Four inches. Uh, right. They're, they're inquisitive. Like I said before, they're super easy to breed. Now that's a huge plus, but it's also a huge minus. Um, when we breed, we keep, when we breed, when we hatch out crust, when we hatch out Periodora picta, <laughs> we keep them in an individual enclosure, probably 10 to 15 to 20 or so. And then we keep moving them up to bigger enclosures. But at about two months, I start looking for males and those males I pull out I'm looking every other day, sometimes every every day. I'm pulling mm -hmm. out the males because I don't want that male breeding with the females because I've had female period or picked a laying eggs at three months of age. Three it's months. Hard. It's hard to wow. see a female that's only about this big laying these eggs that look like coconuts. It's hard to see that. So yeah. that's one kind of gotcha with period or pick. Other than that, they're just an amazing animal. So from a care standpoint and first reptile for a family, it's a great animal. For a breeder like me, we are on the, I feel, I feel we're on the cusp of finding some of these other genetics because you can just see markers all over this, all over the place with these animals. It just needs somebody with a lot of dedication to start separating and I've, I've hit right. on a couple, three, but I, I think it's going to take even more work than that to really narrow it down. Kind of like African fat tails, how we started seeing some of these morphs with African fat tails a, a few yeah. years ago. I think we're kind of right there with Periodora picked up. Well, and if they have that fast turnaround to sexual maturity, not that you're going to bring them at three months, but even if it's six, nine months. Yeah, yes. I mean, that versus three years, you know, for some of my gargoyles here. That's that's a huge difference when you're trying to you know prove something out, or you can do that a lot more uh, effectively. Do, are you working with any other? Do you know of any other big breeders that are working with this species where you guys can bounce ideas off of each other? Are you looking for somebody to, to get into it? Uh I, would, <laughs> I would love so. I would love to see more people keeping period or picked up. I would love that yeah. I'm not the first one to find some of these morphs because that means that they're gaining in popularity and they're yeah. being focused on. Unfortunately, right now there's pockets and they're they're developing and there's interest. I'll put period or picked up on our store. I, I did this um, two, three weeks ago, three weeks mm -hmm. ago. I put about a dozen pairs of period or picked up and they were gone within two days. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of interest there, but it's certainly not to the crusted gargoyle leopard gecko extent. No. It, it needs to be more so. And the problem is that I did a series on Periodora Picta about three years ago, uh, from their natural history to their care, to breeding, to raising the babies, four or five different videos. And each one I kept promising the last one would be the morphs. And in three years, I haven't gotten to the morph one because ah. there's so many. It's not that I don't want to. There's just so many opinions. And, and really right now, nothing is nailed down sure. specifically as to this is this and this is this. It's just such a, a glob out there right now of 
opinions. It's it's kind of hard to to nail that down into a video. But that's actually really exciting. I mean, if anybody's looking for a, another project, to be on the cutting edge of of trying to work those questions out, I think that's cool. You know, I mean, there's there's one thing about breeding, and that's a whole amazing thing in itself, and most of us can relate to that. But to sit down and work with the genetics on that level, right? It's almost like you look at like little monsters with their their uh, crested geckos, you know, <laughs> genetic, uh, you know, workup. That took years of them working on that, right? And, and working with other breeders. And they're, you know, most of us don't have the money or the space to do that many crested geckos. Right. To to get on that that uh, level with a species would be really exciting. You, you've got my interest for sure. Um, so no, that, that's amazing. And okay, so two questions about them. Yeah. One, because you said you almost recommend them over even a, a leopard gecko. You said they're easy to handle, which yep. is crazy, which is amazing. I love hearing that because you know usually smaller geckos are a little more flighty. Um, and so, you know, when you say there, there is, are they as handleable? Are they, you know, I guess my question is, is like how handleable, like, can you take them out and show them obviously not to a little kid, but are they going to run away pretty easily? Are they pretty docile? What is it like? What, what an excellent question. So if you have a leopard, let's go leopard gecko first. You have sure. a leopard gecko in a cup, and it's about three months old. You've brought it to a show. You open the cup. What's the very first thing the uh, leopard is going gone. to do? Yeah, it's gone. It's it's one of two things. It's either <laughs> gone, or it's got its mouth open and it's screaming at you. <laughs> You've got to clip that part out so that you can put that in a short or something. Yeah, there you so, go. I'll put that just as the intro. <laughs> So it. it's screaming at you, and the very first reaction is either, oh, my gosh, that's so cool, or really, is it going to bite me? Um, mm -hmm. Period or picta, you open the cup up, and it's going to be a little skittish and everything, but um, I've done this over and over and over and over again. It shows I'll pull an adult out, uh, period yeah. or picta, and by the second time I'm opening the deli cup to show somebody, I'm handing it off. I have no wow. concerns whatsoever that the animal is going to run. Hold it, that says open something. hands, just open hands and hold it over right. the table. Here you go. Um, let's talk about this animal. Let's talk about its care requirements. And and they're watching it. And and just like leopard geckos will kind of nuzzle into your hand to gather the warmth, period mm -hmm. or picked are the same way. They're, they're just going to kind of hunker down and they're just going to kind of sit there, big eyes looking at you and the same kind. But you don't of even need so to talk to sell the gecko. Just do that. Yeah, yeah. I pull them out a lot and hand them to people for that there reason. You go. <laughs> oh, that, okay. So that that really explains the handleability. And, and my other question is, um, one thing that a lot of keepers like to want to do is keep groups together. Now we're pulling the males so that they don't breed, but yeah. can you keep a community of females, or is there a ratio of females and males that are unique to them? Because uh, I know with, with leopard geckos, you pretty want, much want to keep them by themselves or only females. Some people co-have females. I know that's controversial. And, you know, whatever I say is going to be controversial. There's going to be some people that are going sure. to say, yeah, you crazy person. Um, but I think it's there's two things working there. <clears throat> I'll tell you what I do. I do not keep leopard geckos together. I keep males away from the females, uh, breed mm -hmm. 
you know, in, out, in, out, in, out, and then we're done for the breeding season. Periodora picta, I keep them together. Have I lost okay. a couple of tails? Yes, I have. Um, have I lost tails with crusted geckos because I've put them together? Yes, I have. Um, it's just, I, I feel part of the process. Um, but I tell you what, I'm watching the animals all the time. Like I said before, at least every other day, I'm going in and checking the animals and making sure everything's okay. I keep them together because, number one, I, I don't put them together when they're super young. Number two, I'm really, really, really watching them. So mm -hmm. I, I know what to look for. If the female is not in a hide, she's off in a corner. Uh, it just looks weird that she, why would you be off in a corner? Well, there's a reason you're off in the corner because the male is right. being a little aggressive. So I'll pull the male out and I'll let that female just kind of have a season by herself. So I, I know what to watch for. Females together, no problem. Males, okay. if you're just new to this, if you're into the breeding thing, do the same thing with the leopard gecko introduction, you know, two or three times. Keep the female sure. and female away from each other. If you know what you're doing, you can get away with cohabitation, in my opinion. But sure. you really have to keep your eyes on them. Okay. No, that's great advice. And so, yeah, anytime you talk about cohab, people have strong opinions. But yep. I think that there's, there is a difference, like you're saying, between people with an experienced eye who do it for the right reasons. I'm hearing a lot through this podcast that with the, the gargoyle geckos, people pair up either one-on-one -on -one or you know trios sometimes even four geckos together three females one male and they'll keep them together for years without switching them because the uh the introduction phase is those phases where you start losing tails you start seeing a hierarchy kind of develop so there's a lot more picking at each other and so if you just keep them together sometimes you just if it's working and there's harmony let it go is what i'm hearing so I'm going to go full circle on you again. When we talk about please. geckos, a lot of my experience is coming from the fish world. So when we talk about putting a male and a female together, the very first thing I do is if I'm going to put a uh, two fish together, I'm going to move all the decorations around so that whatever fish was in there before, yes. it's like, what's going on here? I'm so confused. <laughs> right. And here's a new fish. And I'm going to feed at the same time. Okay, I can't focus on everything, so I'm not going to be beat this other fish up. Another thing that's so important, Trophius, Imbuna, Imbuna. You mm -hmm. don't put a male with a female. You don't put a male with a, you'd never put a male with a female, ever. So with Imbuna, you throw as many females as you possibly can in the tank, and you throw one male, and let that male kind of dart around and try to, it's like a, lion and a gazelle it can't focus on because there's Just so one many thing. there's so many yeah. so i think a lot of that holds true with um geckos as well the more females you have in the tank when i when i breed the period or a pick i i put a male and i usually put two females if i can sometimes i'll put one female but uh i have one tank one or two tanks where i have three females and one male mm -hmm. so the more females the more that I don't want to say attention, attention. I was going to say aggression, but it's more attention that attention it is. is spread out to other animals, just like tropical fish. Absolutely. Yep.
unfortunately, unlike tropical fish, we can't just throw in like 50 males and there's so much <laughs> chaos. They all get along, you know, do a peacock tank, you know, there imagine you if go. we just did that with crested geckos, that'd be interesting. Um, <laughs> All right, well, I kind of want to learn a little bit about how you keep your your geckos, whether it be crested geckos or if gargoyle geckos are separate, please differentiate. Um, but we live in a very similar area. We're not too far away from each other. And and really, I feel like regionally, uh, things are different, right? How we keep in the Midwest, especially the northern Midwest, can be very different than how people keep in Florida versus Arizona, parts of California. And so I kind of want to pick your brain on that. How do you do you keep your, your geckos in PVC, in tubs? Uh, let's talk about the adults first. How do you keep your breeding adults today? And how has that changed since you started? I love this question. And I'm going to proceed it by saying if you don't know, you know, Wally and you don't know Supreme Gecko by now, I live in the land of frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. Um, I'm in Wisconsin. <laughs> I'm in Wisconsin, yep. so, you know, it, it's cold outside Go right back. now. It's, yeah, there you go. So it's <laughs> cold. you got me on that one. So it's cold yep. outside right now, and it's going to get really super cold. All of my animals, yeah, I've got some animals I'm trying to point here. I've got some yep. animals up here in my office, but most of my animals, 99.99% of my animals are down in my basement. Why does that matter? Why does it matter? It matters a lot. It matters a lot. Mm -hmm. I cohabitate the year round and I do that because, you know, I don't, I don't get eggs until usually around, you know, when most people are getting eggs from their gargoyles, we'll take gargoyles first. Sure. You're getting eggs from, you know, late February, Marchish. I'm into April, May. It's not uncommon for me to start getting eggs maybe in April, but I'm not kicking in full, full production until may ish june is really now i'm now i'm going now i've got my my whole rhythm down in june uh again i'm i went downstairs and i fed today and i pulled probably about oh four or five five sets of eggs ish oh wow you're still getting I'm eggs. pulling like 20 to 25 sets of eggs on a normal run so it's it's going down and that's because they're in the basement and that's because it's a gradual cool down and the animals mm -hmm. just stop breeding. The, the males just lose. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing I'm not, you know, not getting it. <laughs> you didn't ask them how interested they are tonight. I, I asked if they, you know, my granddaughter's Dr. Doolittle, she talks to the animals. Nice. I, I just kind of, I can't do that. So Fair they're enough. just kind of cooling down and they're, they're not as interested in breeding um, they're going to, you know, winter and and just kind of, I, I don't want to say brewmate because I'm not dropping the temperature that much. They just lose interest. And for, yeah. you know, for reference, I don't look for eggs in the winter, but maybe once a month or so. And that's more casual than than anything. It's not like, oh, I've got to check for eggs today. It's, it's like, well, I'm in here. Uh, I haven't looked for three or four weeks. I might as well check for eggs. And again, until about February, March or April. Then I start looking at the eggs. So cohabitation, gargoyles are in, oh, I should know this, 35-gallon uh, uh, plastic tubs. Uh, awesome, cork, okay. Lots of cork bark, a couple of pieces of egg carton, a hide, a water dish, peat moss on the bottom, but 
but not deep peat moss. Don't do. Okay. Um, I just have just a layer just to absorb. You know, when I mist, it absorbs yeah. some of the moisture and it holds that moisture just a little bit. Um, and I have, I, going back like 10 years, I still have pool noodles in, a, in some of the, the enclosures too. Just for them yeah. to kind of walk around. And it's, I've never just heard anybody have peat moss in the bottom. That's really interesting. That's but really again, cool. Where did you key. pick that up? Here's the, um, I think with some other animals, I started using peat moss because I needed a little bit like uh, like Bavaye from Madagascar. Uh, the mm -hmm. Bavaye geckos need a little bit higher humidity. So I started using just, you don't want to put it deep because they'll start using it for, you know, egg uh, hiding their eggs. So you just want it just layering, just like you would have a paper towel, but peat holds moisture so much better than paper towel. Interesting. So, yeah. And you don't use a lot of it and you can, you know, every couple of months, you can just kind of put, move the animals, dump the peat, put another layer yeah. in and, and go to town. What do you put in your uh, lay box? Peat moss. Peat moss. I have okay, gone so. through 1,500 different versions. <laughs> I've gone through, I, I literally, I bet you one year I, I set up like eight different types of medium. This, again, this is probably 15 years ago or so, just to see if there was any difference. And, you know, some of it was just plain dirt and some of it was vermiculite. Some of it was you know, peat mixed with and, and this and that for a long time, I use, uh, for a couple of years, I use sphagnum moss. I like peat moss a lot more. It just seems to hold the moisture really, really well. And it seems mm -hmm. to give them an area where they can dig and flatten down, you know, kind of a little selfish for me. Um, when, when I, when I go to feed and I look at the hide box and the peat moss is still kind of crumpled up in mountains and hills and it's like, yeah, I'm probably not going to find any eggs in this one. But if I go in there and that peat moss looks like asphalt road, concrete road, flat as it can be, there's probably going to be some eggs in this one. So I better look a little bit more. You know, I'll do yep. the typical, any eggs? And I don't see any, but that, that peat moss is flat. I'm going digging for, for those eggs. That's a good cue. Uh, yeah, I'm always interested to see. I, I actually gave up. I mean, granted, I'm only one season in. But I had lay boxes initially, and it's interesting that you said your your season started later at, uh, where you are because I thought I did something wrong. I didn't start getting eggs until late April, early May, and then really, like you said, in June is when they started to hit. And uh, so maybe I'm on a similar cycle as you. Maybe it wasn't anything I did wrong. But uh, I got rid of the lay boxes because I heard that, you know, why not just do a a bottom that has a ramped up section of your your substrate and that's what i did and it worked out pretty well because i had clear tubs and you know i could see just lift up and see if there was anything underneath but again even with that i i use a mix of uh just the cocoa chunks yep. with the cocoa fiber and that kept the humidity in really well um but they would dig, you know, not all the way down to the bottom. And so it was kind of fun when you could see it all smushed up or I'd make like a little hole with my hand. And if that hole went away, I knew they started digging there. So, <laughs> you know, little things just to try to give you a little trick of, you know, do I want to disturb this area? Because I don't know, maybe my scent's getting all over there. 
and I touch it too much, and then I'm scaring the female away from from laying eggs. Yeah, I guess superstitious. Who knows? You know, nobody's ever done any real studies with crested geckos as far as you know. We've, we've looked at temperatures, incubation, things like that, and we're finding out. I I feel like we're finding something new every single year, but nobody's really looked at the substrates and hides and so on. When I first started with crusted geckos, yeah. I used plants. I was, you know, the big thing was using plants. So I had a potted yeah. plant in every, so I, I think I had 20 setups with plants. So every week I would go in, every third feeding, I would go in and dig around looking for, it was like two two seasons of that. It was like, this this stinks. I hate doing this. This yeah, is hard. You, how many plants did you kill? Yeah. <laughs> you know, about, about every year I would have to replace about half of them every yeah. year. But the problem yeah. was that I would, because the plants were kind of big, I would miss some eggs once in a while. And I remember walking down uh, through, you know, if you fish, you know what I'm going to say here. If you fish, yeah. you could be fishing in an area and you can see a splash way over you know 100 yards off and you and it's like do 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 oh there was a splash over there and if you're fishing with somebody they're like what do you mean i didn't hear anything uh, mm-hmm. so i remember walking into the gecko room one day and i passed the crust of geckos and i stopped and i did that backward step and i looked to the right and sure enough in the plant here was a little head popping out ah! of the dirt <laughs> and it was a crust that's so head. cute Little baby that had hatched out, and sure enough, I found both empty eggs, and I found one crusted gecko. So um, that was probably about the same time I, I started ripping the plants out and, and tossing them, and I went over to hide boxes. Very cool. Now, that's an experience for sure. But uh, oh man, yeah, it, it, we try new things all the time, right? All you have time. to, and you you're always developing, and, and that's why I keep asking. You know, somebody asked me, I was like, well. Are you going to ask everybody similar questions? I say, yes, you know, because people are going to give me 10 different answers for the same question. Otherwise, you're right. I'll just do this podcast with one person and call it a day. Right. Um, But I learned so much from different people with different experiences and what works for them. And it's fun to see what's going to work for someone listening. Right. So even if it doesn't work for me, what you're telling me you're doing, there might be someone listening going, that's it. Wally's a genius. (laughs) Right. And so that's what I love about this. Or it might be, I'm not a genius, I'm just super, super lazy, and I don't want to go through the whole tank, and and I, I, just, I, don't, I don't want to, I want to watch the Flintstones today, I don't want to, so yeah. I, instead of having, you know, a whole tank with the peat moss, I just have a little hide box, and I make it super, super, you know, easy for me. Convenient. Yeah. Lazy, yeah. I, I say lazy. Nah, efficient. Let's use the word efficient. Well, okay, we'll go with efficient. Yeah, there we go. If Makes it sound a little bit better. <laughs> All right, so you've got your adults in 35-gallon tubs. Yeah. I'm assuming you, you keep them in tubs, not only, you know, the humidity, uh, nothing holds humidity like tubs. Yes. Is that your primary reason? Yeah. Um, it's, it's this, it's, there's really two or three reasons. Number one, it's so much mm-hmm. less expensive. I can take a plastic tub for like, oh, yeah. you know, 12 to $15, drill a couple of holes in it for ventilation and decorate it you know how i want to and i'm done and i can yep i did a video on this i think i put together my rack of 15 gargoyle um adult setups i think i did the whole rack tubs included everything for like 200 i i'd have to go back to the video and this is like four or five years ago yeah 
I did the whole setup for just, if I remember right, I think it was just over $200 for the whole setup. It sounds about right. Yeah. So, yeah, so inexpensive, holds humidity. It's easy mm-hmm. to work with. I can take a, a whole plastic tub out, and if I want to clean it, I take the decorations out. I put the animals in a smaller container. I dump. I take it to the sink. I scrub it out. I put everything back in. I put it right back on the rack, and it takes me, you know, five minutes, and I'm done. Yep. It is that easy, which is which is a huge convenience, especially if you want to keep these geckos super clean and, and keep on a schedule. Especially, like you said, there's a difference between having that Japanese-style display where we're, we're, you know, cutting the plants in, at a certain height and, you know, making it look just an absolute art piece, which is a way to keep, you know, certain animals. Um, but if we're doing it for breeding... That comes with a disadvantage when finding eggs or just, you know, other other aspects. Um, and some people go bioactive and it works for them if you only have a few pairs. Beautiful. I'm going to have a few display tanks. I just got this tank over here. Nice. Uh, putting a divider right in the middle of it. That'll be a video coming soon. Nice. And I want to have a few of my breeders in sort of a, I want to put them in not necessarily a bioactive, but a more display kind of environment slash, um, mixed between form and function so halfway in between what we're talking about perfect and so there's everything in between which is great uh i want to talk about babies because that's my biggest hiccup year one is i see some breeders especially when i went to tinley i go to a few shows and they'll tell me this baby's three months old and i'm like it's 12 grams how did you get your baby to be that big that quick and i had reached out to you a little bit earlier asking because one of the major things other than feeding bugs is heat how do you keep your babies and and can you explain what you were kind of telling me earlier about heat i think the the two factors are you know we can talk about tub size we can talk about hides for babies we can talk about substrate we can talk about a bazillion different things with babies it it really for me in my mind and i've talked to a couple of other uh great breeders that are detailed focused like Andrew Gilpin of um, Living Art uh, Creations. Yep. And Is that things. what LAC stands for? <laughs> exactly. Living Art Creations. <laughs> so he will, and and Kyle Salzman, Crystal Salzman, Sarah Gilpin, obviously, um, yeah. two different things that will drive the, the size of your babies, the growth. And again, we're not, we're not trying to power you know, weight and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger babies. What we're trying to do is make no. them not just survive. I'm stealing Andrew's line. Andrew, if you're watching, I'm stealing but your thrive. line. We're going from surviving to thriving. So with yep. babies, the two factors are, I feel, in taking it from them, heat yep. and food. Protein. Protein. It's protein. So yep. It's just not food. It's protein. So heat, what I do is I run a heat heat cable, not heat tape, heat cable down the back of my racks for the babies. And that gives a little bit of an area where they're probably about five, six, seven, eight degrees warmer than the room. And again, remember, our basement drops down five or six degrees in the winter anyways. So that area is always going to be, you know, in the probably upper 70s-ish, 77, 78 degrees, just, but just that little tiny area of these. That makes such a difference. It, I, I think it does. So 
you know, I'll put, and I use very, very simple hides. I use styrofoam egg cartons as hides because yep. the little compartments for the eggs, you can put, you know, you can spray and that gains water and they can lick it out of there instead of having water bowls. And anyways, it gives them a place to hide. I use a paper towel in the back. You can use sphagnum moss, whatever you want. Paper towel is just easy for me. And then I leave the rest of the tank there. And I'm going to come back to that. I, I said that wasn't super important, mm. but there, there's a reason why I leave the baby's tanks bare. But anyways, so all of that is packed in the back of the enclosure so that they're going to stay in that back probably 90% of their time. And they're going to stay warm that whole time. Um, so when they're about a week, week and a half, Week, week and a half old or so, I start feeding mealworms. And I'm a huge believer in mealworms. So we get the micro mealworms. Yeah. So at about two weeks or so, we start feeding. I want them to have two weeks on the diet, and I want them to know exactly you know what the diet is, and, and that's their base food. But then at about two weeks, about once every week or so, I'll uh, throw mealworms in there. And again, beer bottom, uh, six quart tops. That's why. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the mealworms are isolated sense. in a little cup, and oh my gosh, I've got to find these, and they'll find them. I don't think that there's a, that's the issue, but I mean, these mealworms right. are, are, and you can literally watch the crusted geckos just kind of sit there and go, and then pounce on the mealworm. So it's that attention grabbing with the mealworms going around the container. And watching okay. the crusteds follow this mealworm and then just pouncing on it. We don't load them up. So for every baby, we'll probably throw three or four little mealworms in there. And I think that that additional protein um, helps spur the whole growth. Protein <clears throat> in their food, the live foods, and the heat. I think that that adds um, a little bit of extra growth. All right. Well, you've just given me something to chew on here. So you're talking in, in a six month or a six quart tub. Yep. Your setup is, if I, I got this correct, you leave half of it bare, which is the front half away from the heat. Towards the heat, you've got your, your little hide, which you use the egg crate. Um, and, and if you want to know exactly what the egg crate looks like, go go look at some of Wally's videos. He's got them all over. Styrofoam um, egg and, crate. I didn't mention that. Styrofoam. I, I yeah. Okay. That's good. I don't enough. like the other egg crate, the the uh, the cardboard egg. The paper. Crate. Yeah, the paper yeah. because it it will get too wet and it'll it'll hold moisture great, but that paper towel functions mold. for that. But it will mold. Okay. It, it absolutely. Yeah. You'll, you'll go through and you'll find two or three tanks, <clears throat> especially on the bottom of racks that aren't getting the airflow all the time, and and you'll start seeing the cardboard mold, and and that's just not good. All right. So styrofoam. Styrofoam. Yes. It, is, it doesn't decompose, but you can totally use it for geckos. I love it. Multi-purpose. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, and so then you throw in that, that paper towel. So you just kind of like wad it up and throw it in the back, which also gives it some, you know. And you don't have any, uh, like, I put in cork with all mine to help with shedding. Do you put anything in with a rough surface for that, or you don't have any issues with it? Nothing. I I'll have okay. shedding issues, you know, probably just like everybody once in a great while, I'll have a gecko that's just not going through a shed. Um, sure. But it, it doesn't happen a lot. So I think that shed is a function of two different things. The rubbing is important. I think that the styrofoam, I think that they'll they'll catch the, because I'm cutting the styrofoam, 
I'm not cutting. Okay. God, I did this. I'm not cutting the styrofoam. Yeah. <laughs> I'm using a razor knife and I'm I'm slicing. So there are edges on that that styrofoam egg carton, and they're okay. probably using that. But I think that I'm kind of going way off tangent here on you. But I think okay. shedding issues are based on two different things: bad supplementation, and you're probably your audience is probably thinking it's too not humid enough but i'm going to say just the opposite Too much. i think that a huge issue with shedding is that it's constantly damp in there and they don't have a chance for their skin to dry out and be able to rub it off on something yeah. so i think this those are the two issues that you'll have most of the time with shedding yeah and, and i don't want to get into this because this is a whole huge tangent but i completely agree with the over watering of crested geckos and it's really crested gecko gargoyles lychees you know especially when we keep them in tubs because the humidity stays so well it's really hard to tell someone new right how long do you spray this and and when i found out kind of what works for me it was really even hard when i went on vacation to explain it to to somebody i hired to watch all my animals okay how many seconds do I hold it? You know, and it's like, well, how hard did you pump the the machine first, right? Because <laughs> it comes out a different yeah. flow. You know, even things like that. And so I always tell they're not frogs. I'd rather it dry out. If it, if it's not dry out, dried out the next day, by the time you're gonna respray it, right? It was too much, and so back off a little bit. That's what I usually tell people. Yes, yes. So, so. it shows I'm fortunate enough to be able to have a kind of a, a, a banter, a routine of um, feed it every other day, feed it the size of their head, blah, 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 and missed um, about every other day or so. But remember this, if you're misting, all that you want to do is put some water droplets on the side and on the plants or whatever, but don't mist again until it dries out. And your routine should be about every other day or so. I've yep. heard, so I'll I'm fortunate that I online, I'll get about 20 to 30 questions on animal care a day. And I'll say that misting shedding issues is one of the most common. And eight out of 10 times, you know, I'll say, how often do you miss? And, and I'll go through that whole pattern. And it's absolutely apparent that they're, they're misting like two or three times a day. And it's yeah. just like, like an ocean in in their enclosure so <laughs> they're but, not, you know, not dark saying, frogs people <laughs> yeah exactly and i'm not saying that they're they're intentionally doing anything wrong it, no. it's just that it's hard just like you just said it's hard to say you want to miss you know 0.48 ounces of water every 32 and a half hours and yeah, it's not a baking recipe. And it's different my my gecko over here right i have a misting system set up in that one, because it's a glass enclosure with a giant screen, that thing dries out like that, right? I can't get that thing wet enough half the time. And so, you know, I have that set to spray every 12 hours, go off for, I don't know, 25, 30 seconds at a time. And I still go in and mist it myself just to, because like, I'd rather underdo it with the machine and then just supplement it while I'm doing all the other geckos. And so... 
you know, you have to, to know your setup. Are you in a basement? Are you in, you know, a place that, that has, you know, central air where it dries out more quickly? All these things are factors and it just makes it more confusing. But and, we have to have sort of, you know, benchmarks. And you did that right at the beginning of this interview. You made it very clear to everybody that, you know, you are and I am in the Midwest. So our winters yep. are dry as a bone in our houses because of the, you know, the, the heat going on. It, it just is what it is. So in the winter, in the winter, I'm doing two, two very, very, very different things. So I'm going off on another tangent here, but I'm doing two different Sorry. things in the winter. One is I'm feeding less. I'm not feeding every other day. I'm feeding every third day-ish, maybe even every fourth day because it's cool. And I'll mix a little bit thinner. I'll, I'll mix it with a little bit more water in the winter yeah. um, so that it lasts a little bit longer. But those are two really key things that I'm doing in the winter. And obviously I'm misting a little bit more frequently in the winter. And oh my gosh, if I'm checking hides either more in the summer or winter, it's in the winter, not for eggs, but I mm -hmm. absolutely 100% want to make absolutely positively sure that those hides are moist in the winter. There's you get a dry hide in the winter, and if you miss it, miss it a couple. M I S S. If you miss it a couple yeah. of times, you know you you might have some problems. In my mind, that's okay. that's a key. Yeah, that, that's really important to, to hear. That's awesome. So, wanted to ask you going back to the baby racks here. With, yeah. with you know, we got off on a little tangent. And I love that, but let's steer back to the heat because you mentioned that you use not heat tape. You use heat cord and you kind of snake it in the back. Do you use, did you build like you've, I've seen a lot of your like building baby rack enclosure kind of things. Um, and I've seen you use wood. Do you still use wood for a lot of your baby uh, rack? I, any issues with like fire hazards? Do you put a, a thermostat on those? Uh, do you set it to a certain temperature? Can you kind of walk me through if I wanted to set up a baby rack, uh, which I might want to do soon. <laughs> so how would you go about doing that? Would you, would you use PVC today if you had, had to redo it? If I'm going to walk through three examples. Okay. When we started, we built all of our racks out of wood and melamine and oh my gosh, it, when you built a rack out of melamine, it stood there for like ever. It never moved. It never moved. So so obviously, yep. you know, when we tore down some of our melamine uh, stands for our crusted geckos, you know, we pulled them out and there were spiders, you know, like this big behind there and webs <laughs> that like, you know, Indiana Jones. And the... so um, I, I get don't... the shop back to get it. Exactly. You know, a shop back with a <laughs> nozzle this big. Um, right. You know, the Binford 5000 shop back. <laughs> um if so, anybody knows what he just referenced right there, please put it in the comments and you win. You would just win the day. How about there that? You go. Winner, winner, chicken <laughs> dinner. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think I stopped making wooden racks probably about 10 years ago. And they're okay. Now, I'll throw a caveat in there because some of our grow racks are, I would probably make again with wood because they're just simple, you know maybe half inch by two inch slats with melamine. Um, I'm trying to think of the dimensions that are for 19 quarts. So they'll hold three 19 quart containers. 
and mm-hmm. seven rows. And I think these racks, when I built them, are probably less than 50 bucks. And they've lasted, you know, a dozen years or so and not moved one inch. And, and they just work out perfect. So I like those racks. Great. But I would never build a big, you know, huge wooden rack again ever for babies. Um, okay. So there's one example. Wooden racks are really heavy and, and they do cost quite a bit. Um not compared to PVC, which we'll come back to in a, in a second. Uh, yeah. But they have a tendency also to warp unless you just, you know, you've got to put backing on it and you have to brace it and everything to make sure that it warps. And so our baby rack, which holds 77, oh gosh, over 85 tubs, uh, six quarts tubs, it's starting to warp and it, it's, you know, another, if we get another year out of it, it'll be crazy. So we've okay. gone from that to uh, plastic tubs on baker's racks. Now, with the, mm-hmm. we go back to the big baby rack. That's where I um, snaked in the, the heat cable, uh, Zoomed heat cable. And I have two different lines on the back of, of there, and that keeps the back really nice and warm. So for our second choice, I have gone over to, I went over to, because we were running out of room, I went over to baker's racks and little six quarts on the baker's racks and i I think our on our baker rack i can get 72 tubs on one of our baker's racks and that's super Mm -hmm. cool but you you're right you brought up the the perfect point it is if you try to heat that it's going to be very difficult and it could be a a fire hazard you want to stay immediately away from fire hazards so what we'll do there is probably this weekend i'll plug in a couple of space heaters and i'll heat you know, I'm not going to heat one area to a certain point. It's going to be that whole room area will be heated, and I'll bring up the temperature, you know, probably four or five or six degrees uh, for those babies to keep them a little bit warm. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. Third option is, this is the trend, this is the new thing, are those little shoe boxes. And if you haven't seen them, I have a couple of videos out there, and Robbie Reptiles has a great video on another type of, shoe box. I've gone over to these and you can get them online. It, the ones that I'm looking at are about $4 a piece. So I built a mm-hmm. rack of 42 tubs on a baker's rack again, a little yep. bit bigger than the six quart. I, I think they're seven or eight quart if I remember right. But anyways. Yeah, they're right. Just a little bit bigger. I actually did the math on them because I was watching your video the other day and looked at all the dimensions and I'm like, all right, I think it's, it's yeah, about an extra a quarter too. Yeah. So they're a little bit h- taller, a little bit taller, a little bit longer. I think if I remember right, um, mm-hmm. I'll do a video and, and you know, the information is just dumped, just dumped. And then I move on <laughs> to the next video and fair enough. Um, but I put 42 on a baker's rack and again, like $120 or so to, to, to do these. If I remember right. So I like them because you can open the doors or a lot easier to access. Now, again, the problem there is how do you heat these? I haven't, you know, my next step will be a space heater, but I'm thinking that maybe I'll do the same thing with the heat cable and just put it on the back of these tubs just Mm -hmm. to heat the back of these enclosures, you know, just a small area. And I'll put their little hides. Now for these, you know, I'm not putting babies in. I'm putting two to three month olds. And they're a little bit bigger. I'm putting actual hides, little hides with sphagnum moss in there because I don't, you know, I'm not expecting them to lay eggs. I just want the sphagnum moss to hold moisture. 
Sure. So I'll put them in the back, and I'm thinking that that heat cable will keep that back a little bit um, warmer. The good thing about heat cable is that it's a lot safer than heat tape, obviously. So this, is it okay? That was yeah. my next question because I, you know, I actually when I was googling it, you don't read much about heat cable for reptiles, right? You hear just about wrapping around your pipe so they don't freeze for the winter, and then you get the you know. Set, uh, Channel Seven News, you know this place went up on in fire because of it. I'm like, okay, is this something I want to do in my house? Because again, I got little kids. No. You're saying it's safer. Um, it, obviously, you've been using this for a while. Why would you say it's safer than heat tape? If you don't mind me asking, it doesn't get as warm. Um, you're okay. not. That's good reason. Heat tape potentially, and especially if you have tubs, and especially if you haven't routed out your wooden um, racks, you're going to be sliding your tubs constantly over that heat tape. Over it. Uh, cable, I have just, you know, strung in the back of the tank. So literally, like, the, I'm going to see if I can do this on, on the show here. So the cable is yeah. like this, and here we go. Maybe I can do it. So the tubs are going to go, they're going to slide into the rack right up against that cable. And I have it, you know, tight enough that they're, you know, it's going to slide right to it, but loose enough that it's not going to go over or try to, you know, kink it or anything like that. That's good. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. And so, yeah, if it's moving less, there's less chance for it to fail. You said it gets, it's not as hot. Doesn't get as Do hot. Do you put a thermostat on your heat, heat? Like, what temperature does it bring it up to, I guess, is my question. Like, if I were going to put it, like, are you just having it one strip or one portion of that strip on the back of each six-quart tub or, or equivalent? Um, or I know some people snake it around kind of thing. Um, are you touching that tub twice? What do you do? If I have it going it? from, from um, shelf to shelf. So I'll come down a shelf. And it'll go right along the back edge of that shelf. And then it goes down. It. I have a little hole in the back of the shelf, little little drilled out a little hole. So the cable will go yeah. down through that and then down through the next row, next shelf behind, and then back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that's why I need two for this big rack. Um, I don't even know how many feet they are. It's a lot, like 35 feet. Uh, yeah, you them. can get them at different different lengths. I looked into exactly uh, different wattage, all that good stuff. So you asked you about a thermostat. A of... You should always put anything heat on a thermostat. But good answer. Did, did Wally <laughs> do it with these heat? I I haven't with the heat cables. I have everything else in, in okay. the whole room. You know, heat tape on thermostats just in case. But I haven't with these heat cables because they're just you know you can actually literally grab them. And you're not going to get burnt. Uh, you're going to feel oh. warm. You're going to feel a, yeah. a good warmth, but you're not going to feel like it's super hot. And the good thing about these, and these are, I'm not trying to promote or anything, but Zoomed makes no. a really good one. I can touch the, the very beginning of it, and I can touch the end, and they're basically the same temperature. Okay. No, that, that's great to know. I, I think it's, it's good for people to know about alternatives because yes. before you – even told me about that i'm thinking it's heat taper bust right and i'm like i don't want to router out all this stuff you know because that's how it is it's a lot of belly heat and even 
the breeders that I've talked to, um, especially when you're talking new, new cows, uh, they like back heat better, right? Rather than belly heat because back heat can spread pretty easily. And then all of a sudden the entire tub is the same temperature. And at that point, why not just throw my space heater on again? And I've, I've heated the room, uh, which is an alternative, right? People yep. do it all the time and it works. Yep. Belly heat also works. But what they were saying is it gives them that gradient, just like with your heat cable or with the heat tape. If you can put it in the back, they've got that hotter side of the tub. And then clearly it, towards the front, you, you can heat gun it and it, it's a lot cooler. It's more like room temperature. So the, the animal can choose. And working with all different types of reptiles before, we all know that they those gradients where animals can choose whether they want it humid or whether they want it dry or they want all the little micro habitats. That to me is very intuitive. It makes sense. Uh, so when I heard that, I'm like, you know what? I, I think I'm going to have to go down that route. So. I like that. And, you know, obviously I'll give options and I know that there's some big pluses and there's some big minuses with the, the space heaters. I know the big minuses that I'm heating these animals up to a certain temperature and they, they really don't have an option to go cooler or warmer. It is what it is. If it's, you know, 77, it's 77 in their whole enclosure, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, in my mind, that's better than them being in, you know, 67 or, or 69 yes. or whatever. But, but it would be better if you could figure out a way. And I'm thinking about with these shoe boxes, I might do the heat cable just to get the back a little bit warmer. And I yeah. might move them away from the area that has the space eaters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, if you do it, let me know how that goes. Cause yeah, I'm debating buying those shoe, uh, the, the open front shoe uh, drop box, whatever they're called. Yep. Cause I have them for my grow outs, but I didn't get the ones that you have that have the vents already in it. Um, I bought the Costco ones, which are bigger. Uh, they're a little bit more expensive per unit, but still it's like, I think it's four for 30 bucks or something like that. And they're fantastic. Um, I love these things. All I had to do is drill a hole so that there was more ventilation because I found that they molded um, if you leave them just the way they are. Plus, I, I rigged them so that uh, I put a little latch using uh, Velcro because I had a bigger gecko jump towards the front and that magnet just swung it right open. And really? I went, oh, I got to go find this gecko that's going to be a, you know... <laughs> One of my more expensive geckos. So that was not a fun hunt, but I got them back safely. <laughs> um, yeah, my wife's like, if you lost that thing, <laughs> if the cat got it, it's it's not the cat's oh. fault. I'm like, oh, man. Anyway, I, but yeah, so yeah, there's all these different options. And that's what I love about this. We're yeah. all trying to find different things that work. Very cool. I appreciate that. Um, Awesome. So I do also want to go and ask you about, uh, so we've talked about babies. We've talked about how you keep the adults. Um, and I kind of want to go back to some of your other species, because I think that they, even though you've got tons of experience with crested geckos and gargoyle geckos, um, what are, are, other than Peridora picta, what are some of your other passion projects that you could share with us? Uh, because I would love to learn about them, especially, you know, I even saw a micro gecko at a big box store the other day. I saw, really? uh, I did, oh my gosh. Uh, it was kind of cool. I saw a yellow, it was a yellow headed gecko. Those don't get too big, I'm right? Got a toy do, you, do you work saw, with those? Uh, ficus. They're, yeah. Just two and a half inches or so. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So I saw one. 
I was like, I've never seen this before. So maybe they're catching on. A little You're bit. Ahead, I think ahead of everybody. I think they kind of go in waves too. And I'll every couple of months I'll get somebody, hey, do you have any micro geckos? Um, and then silence for two months. <laughs> so I do I do different geckos. In in the past, I've done more micro geckos than I do now. I, I'd love to keep more micro geckos. The difference with micro geckos is that they are, you know, uh, so attention focused. So you have to be on them every single day. Their, their metabolism is higher. Um, you have to be feeding them every single day. Uh, the, the one big issue is that you have to have containers that are made for micro geckos so that they can't get out because they're escape artists. So small sure. screen, uh, small openings, you really have to keep your eyes on them when you open up the tank. Uh, the exoterras don't really work very well for micro geckos. Over the years, I've, again, I was into micro geckos much, much more, you know, probably about seven, eight, nine years ago. I, I was probably keeping 20 or, or 30 species of micro geckos. Now I'm down to probably five or six or so. Um, I'm keeping okay. a lot of chondrodactylus, which are our African sand geckos. I'm keeping uh, hemidactylus, African sand gecko, pachydactylus, which is an African sand gecko. So... I, I like those because not a lot of people are working with them. They're, they're fairly easy sure. to keep. Um, they're <clears throat> fun for me to bring to a show or to put on the webpage and have somebody go, oh, my gosh, you have chondrodactylus pulisari. Nobody else <laughs> has these. So it's like that big ego boost. And it, it's just fun to, to be able to share some of these geckos that, that not a lot of people are working with right now. Yeah. I, I love I love the Australian knobtails. So I'm keeping uh, uh, Underwoodosaurus or Nephurus, whatever you want to call it, Melii. Yeah. I'm keeping uh, Levis Levis, uh, uh, Wheeler Eye. Uh, what else am I keeping? Um, I think that's all for the knobtails. I feel like I'm forgetting one. But I love the what, knobtails. Do you mind if I ask? Because I've yeah. always looked at the knobtails, and they're so cool, especially some of the – at Tinley, they had some albino ones that were just absolutely amazing. Oh. They're they're gorgeous looking, and they're not cheap necessarily, no. right? Um, if someone just isn't familiar with knobtails, but is familiar with uh, you know fat tails, leopards, things like that, what's the major difference between them? Why would someone want to get into them? If you don't mind me asking. Oh no 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 no! Absolutely, and I'll keep try to keep this as as brief as I possibly can, but as informative and as detailed as we need to be. the The big difference with knobtails is that they're a drier species, so you have to realize mm -hmm. that, you know, leopard geckos are a dry species, but they're not Australian desert dry. So let's talk yep. about let's talk about Nephurus levis levis. They like sand, and they like to dig burrows in sand, and they'll stay all day in these burrows and then they'll come out. So they need an area where it's kind of moist. It has to be a little bit moist. So can you, is that what you would do with the leopard gecko? Not really. So they're different in that regard. And you have okay. to keep that area kind of moist. So hide over the sand a little bit deeper. They'll burrow in, they'll get comfortable and they'll just stay there the whole day. Another big thing about Australian knobtails is think of this, Australia, there's really not a lot running around in these deserts for them to eat. So if I'm feeding leopard geckos, 
I've got a cup of deli. Uh, I've got a deli cup, a fruit fly deli cup of crickets. I'm going to dump five or six in, and they'll kind of pick them off when they want them. And there'll be a couple running around for a little bit. Australian geckos. If you do that to them, it's like freak out city. It's just, it's not what they want to see at all. They want, okay, there's a cricket and I'm going to focus on, and my little knob tail is going to start dancing and then I'm going to pounce on it and I'm going to gobble it up. And it's like, that was a good meal. I think I'm done for the day. So <laughs> two crickets, it kind of, it stresses them out a little bit, four or five, and, okay. and you are going to have issues with knob tails so that's you know another thing that you have to kind of watch well, got sensory issues yeah it kind of <laughs> is it kind of is they're just not used yeah. to that in, in nature and certainly not in in captivity either so a couple of those are they're very um secluded they're very secretive they're not going to be out a whole lot uh they're just beautiful animals again the little knobs that they use to wag and attract prey and signify you know to the opposite sex that they're ready is super cool so that's the extreme but there's also these knob tails barking geckos called nephurus melii which i'm keeping mm -hmm. four pair of right now and we're getting babies which you can keep over a bioactive and oh my gosh knob tails the other knob tails you can never handle they just do oh, they don't like that at all Melee okay, well, you can put your hand in and they'll just walk it onto your hand and you can and big eyes and super super cool and the babies look oh that's awesome flipping crazy cool so you can keep them bioactive i put a hide in there as well and i keep the hide uh, same thing with crusted geckos moist and i dig through the the peat for eggs and but they just don't lay a whole lot maybe four okay. maybe five batches a year at the very most um but but super cool but they do have you know, these knob tails have their certain requirements and you just kind of have to, to know a little bit about them. Very cool. Yeah. I love all the different diversity, right? It, it, yeah. It's, it's, they all have their little quirks and why we love them. And, you know, they all don't have to be a, a bearded dragon that wants to hang out with us 24 seven. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> which is, which is great. Um, and so you, you know, you talked about the the person that walks up to your table and knows, you know, the exact gecko that you have on your table and it kind of, you know, instant connection. You know, those are the people you want to sell to, because if you, you know, the Latin name, you probably know how to take care of it or you're going to at least look it up. <laughs> um, can you talk to me a little bit about you, you've mentioned before that you like to go to actual shows, meet customers, talk to customers. Um, and actually this past weekend was sewer fest. What is sewer fest? Oh, sewer fest. How do you describe sewer fest? I've described sewer fest. So if your viewers are familiar with any of the big shows like Anaheim, mm -hmm. Tinley Park, any RBC Tinley Park, any RBC St. Louis, Daytona. If, if our viewers here are listening and they're familiar with those shows, think of sewer fest is just as just a, uh, smaller version of those shows. So we filled up a, a okay. big room. I, I, I don't even know how many vendors. I, I don't even want to guess um, 20, 40, 60, 80 vendors, 100 vendors, 120 that's, maybe. That's pretty big. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's a good size show. And I might be over, yeah. um, way over with that number. But the thing with Sewerfest is that, that it's not a Tinley Park or an Anaheim or a Daytona where it's 
Um, it's going to take me a half hour to finally get to this table and talk to the vendor. And oh my gosh, if I ask care questions, how do you take care of this nephurus levis levis? Can I keep them in pair? Yeah, that's not the show to go to for that. <laughs> but it's also it's not. Snowfest isn't a very small show because you have some vendors there that do want to talk and will take the time. The vendors are just amazing. Every single vendor is there. I I personally feel every single vendor there is there to educate number one. And mm -hmm. if sales come, sales come. And very knowledgeable and keeping some very diverse animals. We have, you know, obviously invertebrates and snakes and boas and balls and crusteds and lovers and rare geckos and, you know, just all kinds of animals, chameleons. And it's a fun show from a diversity standpoint. It's a very, very good show to sit back and talk to a vendor without feeling like the vendor is just a cash register. Awesome. And it's a uh, captive bred only show, correct? It is. It is. It wasn't before. I think the very first few shows that I went to, I was mm -hmm. um, next to a person that uh, had rattlesnakes for sale. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so they had venomous too. All Absolutely. right. Hot snakes and. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't let those get out on no. you. Um but you won't see those now if you go, which is kind of cool. And, and that's in Wisconsin. Is there a few different locations in Wisconsin, or is it always in the same location? Same location. It's in Racine, Wisconsin. Uh, okay. Shane Agger that does it is just the one of the best uh, coordinators out there. Very, he listens to the public. He listens to the vendors. He makes sure you know that we don't have um, out of fifty or a hundred uh, vendors, we don't have ninety-eight you know ball python vendors. Um, he's, he's a good guy, been to that show. Yeah. good animals. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely want to get up to that show. It's not too far away from where I am. So I have really no excuse, um, other than I just need to do it. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll film that one. I, cause I'll, the only show I've ever been to is the Scott Smith all animal expo here in Illinois. That's my, it was my very first show. And then Tiddly Park. Well, I guess Schaumburg. I, I kind of lumped those two together. Yeah. Those are the only shows I've ever been to, so I'm a little bit spoiled. Um, but like you said, it sounds awesome that you can get to different breeders that have, you know, a diverse group of animals to talk about, to sell. Yes. But that it's not so crowded that you feel like you just need to shower afterwards, right? Where it's just like, I've touched a thousand people without actually meaning to touch a thousand people. Yes. and. Not that there's anything wrong with those shows. It, they're some of the most amazing days I've ever had. But, you know, it's just almost overwhelming. Like it could really be a week rather than three days. Um, and so to have that kind of pared down into something that's a little more digestible for the general public, and especially if you're not as nerdy as we are about geckos <laughs> or about other snakes or reptiles or amphibians or isopods, you know, if you don't even know what an isopod is, this is the place to go to, it sounds like. Oh, absolutely. Um, what other shows do you go to? I know there's some other types of shows, especially in the Wisconsin area. Uh, do you have other shows that, that you're vending uh, either in the future or that you have vended? We've done the we've done the Tinley Park, you know, NARBC. We've done uh, – we haven't done Schaumburg. We've done the Scott Smith. Uh, Lee, it was Lee Watson when, when I was doing it 20 years ago. Uh, Scott Smith's show. 
We've done the Show Me Show, uh, Show Me Reptile Show. We, we're now focusing mostly, we're now focusing on Sewerfest and we're focusing on the Scaled Up Expos. Uh, Dylan and Brittany, the, the sponsors, are doing a phenomenal job with the Scaled Up Show to the point where they're, they've grown, oh my gosh, 25-fold with these shows. And they're doing uh, six, five or six different locations now in Wisconsin from Green Bay okay. all the way down to Madison, Wisconsin. Ah, yeah, okay. Um, just an incredible show and, and gaining a lot of popularity. And again, very, very, very good vendor. So um, very proud to be a sponsor of the Scaled Up Expos and uh, hope it, it goes on forever and keeps growing. So as someone who goes and vends, I, I, I'm thinking I may get to the size where I would vend or want to vend. I may not. I, you know, I want to keep it relatively small, my collection. I, I, I know I don't want to get above, I won't say the number because then I'll, I'll go over that number. Uh, <laughs> but I want to keep it relatively small and niche uh, with my gargoyle geckos. And so at what point, how many animals would you say you would have to offer at a table to really benefit from going to a show in your opinion? Well, if you have one really, really good one, just one. Just want all right, fair enough. <laughs> it sells. We're done. Hey, we're done. now I get to just hang Let's out. Let's go home. It's uh, yeah. ten forty-five. Worth the table fee. Out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, who needs a Wendy's run? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it really cool. that that's a tough one because it really depends if you're selling leopard geckos, okay. if you're selling crustaceans, if you're selling kahuas, if you're selling top end gargoyles. It's all right. over the board. It's going to be all over the board. So we do a, we're very diverse with the rare, rare geckos, crusted geckos, gargoyles, leopard geckos. We sell supplies, you know, we've, we've got anywhere from two to three tables. So what we count, we've got the Pangea food, we've got the Supreme Isopod shell, we've got feeder food. So we're just all over the board. So what my sure. niche is, is to sell a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that every single show. So we never have a show where it's like, oh my gosh, we brought, you know, 40 crusted geckos and we sold one. Or we, we brought all rear geckos and I could just move one gecko because this wasn't a rear gecko. So that's my focus. Well, and that's is, my question. Then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? so, so we depend more on volume <clears throat> than trying to, to, to hit one or two or three different animals. There's a lot of great vendors out there that are doing kahoos and top-notch, top-of-the-line crusteds, and they're doing, you know, really, really good shows with selling 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 animals. We're going to sell, you know, four or five or six rares, and we're going to sell four or five or six or more crusteds and four or five, six gar just all the way down the line. That's what we depend on for yeah. the show. You diversify that. Yeah. Hey, Georgie. Hello. That's my son, Georgie. Hey, Georgie. How are you doing? <laughs> Say hi. Hi. <laughs> hi. He's Sonic. So He's Georgie Sonic. always wants to be in my video. Yeah. Hey, buddy. So you say hi to everybody? Hi. Yeah. See. <laughs> Way more so. important than gecko talk. Way yeah, more Yeah, sorry important. about that. Yeah, I love when you honestly, uh, you know, you have your, your granddaughter and, you know, your wife. I'm a little bit jealous. 
that your wife actually helps you with this stuff. <laughs> Do you have a trick to that? Um, or is she just that awesome? She's just that awesome. <laughs> there You're, you go. That's, I'm that's, trying that's to all think of something is. funny to say right there. I, I cannot <laughs> think of one. I, under pressure, I, I tried to revert back to humor. I've got nothing yeah. on this one because she is, I don't even know, words can't describe how amazing she is. We, you no, know, that's awesome. Dated for five years. We've been married for, um, I think, at thirty-eight years. Thirty-eight years. Um, <laughs> Congratulations! And I can't imagine being with anybody else. It, it, and how yeah. she's helped with this business, and more importantly, how she's supported. If, if I wanted to spend ten minutes downstairs, okay, Wally, we'll see you in ten minutes. If I wanted to spend five hours downstairs, okay, we'll see you when you come up. Um. And and with the YouTube and everything, I yeah. I don't know. I, the, the support is is huge, and that's where I give my wife. Not only does she, she's more of a behind the scenes person where she keeps me financially responsible, and I've said that there multiple times on the podcast. But yeah, she she definitely will allow me to you know, on a weeknight sit down and talk with Wally, and, and it, it you know there's some people who'd be like, no, we, we've we've got other stuff to do, so. You know, having that support, um, you know, I got to give it to you guys. And uh, she won't clean tanks and, and post videos like uh, uh, your wife will. But but maybe one day, you know, I've only been doing this for a few years. <laughs> I I really didn't know if she would be in the videos and, and helping that much there. And I, I don't th think she feels 100% comfortable being, you know, in front of the camera like this. Yeah. I think she's just oh, kind she's of tolerating it right now, but um, everybody, <laughs> you know, loves her on the camera and rightfully so. Um, yeah. We, we have a lot of fun, you know, ultimately it's just having fun and it she'll is. rip and me. You know, what's fun her. too is, have you ever seen the movie, How Harry Met Sally? Yes. Yes. One of my favorite movies, yes. right? And they've got the couples who go and banter back and forth, answering questions, you know, outside of the main plot. And I always think of that. I want to have that in my relationship. And I see that, you know, one thing I want to bring up is uh, one of my favorite things and what, what I, I didn't find you uh, watching these videos, but uh, I really enjoyed these last two years is your 12 Supreme Days of Christmas. And we're getting close to that right now. And just watching you two talk and interact and talk about all the, you know, the cocoa bombs and the elf on the shelf, you know, it, it makes it so much fun. Not that I don't enjoy just seeing you on film, but it adds that extra element of just, I don't know, just, just realness, right? You, you're a real couple and it really shows that you guys care about each other. So kudos to you and congratulations on so many years together. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's, yeah. it's a blessing. I, I, again, I can't think of another thing to say with this because I, I'm blessed having a wife that understands and cares and, and gives me that time. I really am. Fair enough. Well, then let's talk about the 12 Supreme Days at Christmas. Sure. How about that for a segue? Speaking of uh, the 12 Supreme Days at Christmas, uh, what year are we on right now? We are officially on year 12. It's been running for more than 12 years because I took about a two or three year break there. Work got crazy, crazy, crazy. I was working like 80 hours a, a week and, and weekend hours as well. And I just couldn't do everything. So I took a break from 12 days of Christmas. We brought it back about three years ago. And I, I'm 
again, I'm speechless. That's where I jumped on. Speechless at at the support that we've received, not just from the participants. I think last year we had 500 people watching our live stream on mm-hmm. on you know the last few days, but also the donors. It's just it it blows my mind. And I'm going to tell you something. We started this year one. It was a a, a thought that I had. I it, something had happened in the hobby about 15 years ago, and it was kind of a downer in in like November ish. Something that had happened, and I thought we need something to bring us up. Maybe I can do a giveaway. Maybe I can give you know a gecko away or something. And I, I you know, it's funny. I, I'm bringing all this back right now. I remember I was in the car and I was listening to the 12, 12 days of Christmas on the first day. And I won't sing any more for you. I promise. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so I'm my listening. audio can't handle it. So. <laughs> um, I thought. On first day, wow, you know, what if I did like 12 gifts? What if I did, I would have maybe, you know, people going to the webpage 12 times. Ooh, I'm going to get lots of views 12 times. And, but it was more, I could give away 12 gifts. What am I, I don't, I can't afford 12 gifs. So I think, think the very first day of the very first year, we gave mm-hmm. away little diet dishes. And the second day, we gave away a mealworm, a couple of mealworm cups, and we had people loved it. And we were asking people to share. And and then I would take all the people that shared, fifty people, and I would put them into a spreadsheet. And then I would write down the names, and I would pick. So we were putting in a lot of hours, manual hours, but it was the first year was a blast. I think we gave away. I gave away from Supreme Gecko, um, and I say I because it was so narrow of a focus. I think we gave away like a hundred dollar gift certificate. That was a big prize on day 12, but awesome. in total it was like a couple hundred dollars in gifts. So it wasn't really anything major, but it was a blast. And I've got to do this year too. And before we even started, oh, I'm going to do, you know, 12 Supreme days of Christmas year two. Hey, can I donate? It's like, I, I, I don't, I don't know. You want to donate? <laughs> Why do you want to donate to this? Sure. So year two, I think we went from like the $200 to maybe $500 because we got a couple of gifts. That's and huge. Like three or four of the vendors, donors that were participating in year two are still in this whole thing. And God bless them. They're just amazing. So year two, That's I think we're up to 500 and we kept growing and almost doubling. Was this on YouTube all the way back then? This was on YouTube. Yes, it was. It was mostly on a website. Wow, so you've been on YouTube that long. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been doing YouTube for 12. You know what? Maybe the first year, first couple, three years, it wasn't on YouTube. I'm thinking back. Maybe it was just the webpage that we were doing this and sharing Facebook posts and stuff like that. But we got got on YouTube pretty quick uh, because we started doing. a lot of the you know comments in, in YouTube videos to, to enter, you have to put a comment, what's your favorite color? Didn't really matter. What's yep. your favorite gecko type? Um, <laughs> so we went from, you know, that $200 or whatever to $500 to, um, you know, $1,000, $2,000, $3,000. Um, and then three years ago, we hit $20,000. And when I say we, it's wow. not me, it's them. It's the donors. The donors right. contributed, and I don't need a couple of little gifts here, but it's nothing really major. Donors are were giving 
gave away, gave winners over $20,000 worth of gifts. And then it was 25. Last year, we hit $33,000 in gifts. It's not about the money. It's not about the money. Mm -hmm. And I only say that to give you an idea of... You don't take a 10% cut? I, there's <laughs> the only, and I've told this over and over and over, the only benefit yeah. that I get for this is the YouTube views and stuff like that. Yeah. But for the gifts that I put in, the gifts are way more than that. And, and that doesn't matter. But uh, what's way more important, and I'll share this real quick, what's way, way, way more important is I sat at Sewerfest Sunday, and we had two people that were starting to talk about the 12, oh, the 12 days of Christmas. Oh, yeah, I, I started a couple of years ago watching. And they're, they're customers, and they're standing in front of my table. Within 10 minutes, I was off helping this customer over here. And 15 to 20 minutes later, I turned, and they're still talking to each other. And they had just met in front of my table. The only thing that they had in common was that they were both watching the 12 supreme days of Christmas of and I, I listened to a little bit of the conversation and we're talking about geckos. And <laughs> so the benefit of this bringing whole people thing together. is bringing the community together and talking in a yeah. very, 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 very positive way. And that's the, the value that I try to instill in this whole thing is that let's bring the community. Let's, let's help uh, people in the community understand these donors and their businesses and what they're selling what they're they're giving to the the giveaway but more importantly let's bring the people together and have them talk to each other and you know the more we can talk to each other the less likelihood that we're going to sit on a facebook post and say you don't know what you're talking about you don't know how to care for animals the more we can talk to each other in a, a good friendly way as a community the more that's going to benefit the community i think so that's Absolutely. that's the number one goal of the 12 supreme days of christmas well, I think you're you're meeting that goal and exceeding it, honestly, because it, it brought me into just, you know, before the Gecko Pod came out, or I even thought about doing this where I'm reaching out to different, you know, breeders and people who are in the hobby. You're reaching such a wider variety of people, right? And it's not like everything has to do with crested geckos. You've got isopods, you've got all different people who are in the reptile hobby, and what I love about it is that you're allowing, you're, you're giving this platform for people to give back and to, to spread joy in a time when we need to do that, right? We have such a divisive world right now. And I know people are getting sick of people saying that, but we do, unfortunately. And there are people who disagree on things adamantly. And if we ever talked politics, man, people would just go nuts on each other. But we can come together over geckos. We can come together over this hobby. And I, I have to thank you for giving people this platform to do so. Um, and, and I'm definitely going to be, you know, one way, shape or form over the next few years jumping into this with you. Uh, I think it's a great thing you're doing. And uh, I can't advocate for it any more than, than you know, I will be uh, definitely. And Part of the reason I wanted to have you on was to talk about this amazing thing and hearing the backstory of how this started. I love it. <laughs> Makes me like it even more. Um, what should people know about this year's 12 uh, Supreme Days of Christmas? Uh, is there anything, you know, not that we want to give away all the secrets, but 
anything new or if they've never experienced it before, if you had to give someone an elevator pitch, you know, we probably should have started with this. Yeah. If you had to give an elevator pitch on what is the 12 Supreme Days of Christmas, what is it? Well, we've talked about a couple of those already about bringing the community together. And we've talked about the donors give, giving of themselves uh, animals and reptile equipment. And we talked a little bit about, you know, other things with this event, you know, some of the history. Yeah. But it's hard for me, you know, to the average viewer, to the average person listening to this podcast, to this, watching this video, it's hard for me to share the passion that the donors have and the passion that the participants have and the joy and the fun and, and the community building because it's all, it, it's transparent, but it's also kind of non measurable. The only measurable thing that I have, unfortunately are the numbers. And that is that last year we had over a hundred different donors. We had over 200 gifts and we had, like I said before, $33,000 given away last year. And I hate yep. giving those numbers like that because it makes it sound like, you know, there's $33,000, but it's, it's the only way I, that I have to share with people that this isn't, you know, come and share because I want more subscribers and, and we're going to give away a $200 gecko. You know, last year we gave away several, you know, top end thousand fifteen hundred dollar geckos. We gave away we, they, the donors. You had to do more away, than 12 days. We gave away chihuahuas. We gave away yeah. Um So 12 days, it starts the day after Thanksgiving with an announcement of how you need to participate for the first day. And then we go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 6.30 live streams. And then the day before every giveaway, I do a, okay, here's, Here's how you participate. Here's how you can enter for the next day for tomorrow's giveaway. A lot yep. of times it's a comment on that video. A lot of times it's, you know, go over to Facebook and share this. A lot of times it's go to somebody's donor page and just say thank you. Um, last year we had some skits that hopefully people laughed at me now, you know, laughed with me, not at me. Um, we had the find waffles, the little elf on a shelf where it, yeah. you know, waffles was on, you know, four or five different, uh, donors websites and people had to find them. Uh, we'll have lots of games like that. Again, this year, we're going to give away cocoa bombs, which round chocolate, put it in your cocoa and it tastes good. We're going to give away cookies. Pure what? deliciousness. Yes. Pure. <laughs> um, we might do some special cooking things this year. We're going to make it fun every single day. So part of this is, you know, have just coming together and having fun, but also, you know, if we have 200 gifts, that means that you, you know, people participating have a pretty good chance right. of winning. And we're going to see some of that where, hey, I didn't win. And I have to, to say real quick. Yeah, sorry to no, interrupt, go ahead. I'm kind of And this on. is not a complaint whatsoever. I had a blast and I've never won. <laughs> right. And so don't, you know, it's one of those things where I keep coming back, not because I think, you know, it's, it'd be nice to win something. It always would be nice to win something, but it's not just about winning. It, it's, it's that experience that you get logging in. It is a little bit of a, you guys put on a great show, but you also, like you said, showcase the people who are 
taking their time to donate back to the community. And I love that aspect of nice. it. And so it's fun just to tune in for that. Yes, absolutely. I can, I, I, yes, I couldn't have said it any better. And, you know, if you come to laugh, you can come to laugh with me or at me. I don't care. Just come <laughs> and, and have fun and meet somebody in the chat. And if you see somebody that in the chat, if we do a, you know, uh, top 20 of Wally's favorite movies and win a prize if if you can name four. And you see somebody that likes The Godfather and you do too, start talking to them and, and just introduce yourself and, and have fun in the chats. That's, that's, you know, probably our number one goal right there. Love it. I love it. And here's the fun part too. If you're watching this podcast, this podcast is going to drop a day early compared to normal because we I always record a week early um, and this would go out on the Friday, which would be Black Friday. This is coming out on Thanksgiving. Oh my gosh. And you guys are starting that the very next day. So if you're watching this and this sounds awesome to you, Mark, go subscribe if you're not already to Supreme Gecko. Make sure that you tune in and watch the 12 Supreme Days of Christmas. Join in, dive in head first. It's so much fun. I can't can't say it, you know, say it again. I uh, so please right now it's going to be Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving everybody happy Thanksgiving. in the future. <laughs> Hopefully you're stuffed uh, on, on turkey and stuffing and anything else that you you guys do for your tradition. But um after this, after this podcast, definitely go over and subscribe to Supreme Gecko if you're not, so that you don't miss anything. Um, yeah, so it'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> over to uh, Supreme Gecko, subscribe, uh, hit that notification bell, blah, 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 blah. But also go to, and you'll see it on a lot of videos that I'll come out with in the next week, which is now like Back to the Future a week ago for you guys right. watching it right now. <laughs> Um, I'm going to do a lot of videos and, and I'll share the webpage all over the Wally Kern Facebook uh, page uh, to the 12 Supreme Days of Christmas. If you just look up 12 Supreme Days of Christmas, you'll see videos, but you'll go down a couple and you'll see the, the website and I can send you the website and you can put it in the description if you'd like to. Yeah, absolutely. I will. So go check out the description right now. Excellent. Wally, I've had an absolute fantastic time chatting with you. Um, I, you know, I, I told you this over, uh, you know, instant messenger that I, I do find you as a mini celebrity because I've been watching yeah. the 12 Supreme Days of Christmas. I've watched so many of your videos and I know you're just like, I'm just another guy. You are, but you're a special guy in this community and I appreciate everything you're doing for it. It's amazing work and, and I don't want to undersell it. So thank you so much. Um I appreciate yeah. that. So, you know, I, I put my pants on, you know, two legs at a time, just like everybody else. So <laughs> I don't know. Excellent. Well, okay. We've talked about where to find the 12 Supreme days of Christmas, but where else can people find you if they just want to reach out? Maybe they were really interested in the Peridora Picta or just want to, want to find you the next time you go to a show. We're, we're generally at almost every Wisconsin show. Uh, we'll be doing Schaumburg probably this spring, um, Schaumburg, Illinois, show. NARBC. You can find Wally Kern on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. You can certainly go to the YouTube channel and find Supreme Gecko. Um, we put out, you know, rare geckos. We put out uh, care guides. We put out uh, feeder insects, isopods. 
Um, I even have a TikTok account, and sometimes I dance. Don't, don't follow that. <laughs> nice. Yeah, don't don't go to that. You don't want to see that. Fair enough. Uh, well, please do. Uh, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> I got to go look that up now. But I no, I, thank you again for coming on. We didn't even talk about your Supreme Isopods, which we could have a whole nother episode on because I do want to get into more bioactive stuff and uh, I could definitely learn from you. So I'll have to have you back on the show. Uh, you were an absolute great guest. So thank you so much. You have a wonderful rest of your night and, and in the future, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Hey, if you've enjoyed this video and want to encourage me to make more Gargoyle Gecko content, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button, share this with a friend, and maybe uh, check out one of the videos right over there. I'll see you next time on Gecko Cove.